Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Good afternoon. How was your weekend? More snow shoveling. I think it should be an Olympic event because I'm getting quite good at hurling huge shovelfuls of snow over an eight-foot embankment. But it is nice to see the sunshine. And speaking of the Olympics, have you been up all night watching all the events because of the crazy time change? Um, I haven't. I've seen some highlights. But, yeah, I, I, I can understand why we're hearing that of the North American cities that are even considering 2026, Calgary is the last of them and why the IOC is really looking to having at least a North American city in the bidding process for 2026 because of the time change. You know, those advertisers pay big bucks and they want people to be watching the events. And that doesn't always happen when it the uh, sporting events are going on at two in the morning and three in the morning. And that leads me to my topic this half hour. Actually, this whole hour, we are talking about Olympics because at 3.30, I'm going to bring on Leisha Corbella from the uh, Calgary Herald. Enjoyed her column on the weekend talking about the idea of, well, I think it's been floated by Mayor Nancy. What about if we share it with Edmonton, Vancouver, as in Whistler and Calgary, Canmore? She thinks it's a terrible idea. And I want to talk to Leisha about that at 3.30. This half hour, though, I want to talk about Olympic athletes. Whether you watch the event live or in highlights, you see them doing some pretty incredible things. I was watching the snowboarders as they flipped and did how many twists and turns. And other than that little blue line in the snow, I'm not sure how they can really figure out when they're supposed to land those jumps. It is pretty crazy. But stepping back and looking at the personalities of Olympic or elite athletes and what it takes to really push the envelope in some, if not death-defying, definitely health-defying events. I want to bring on Kenneth Carter, Charles Howard Professor of Psychology, Oxford College, Emory University, joining us today. Hello, Professor Carter. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Have you watched any of the Olympics? I have, I have. It's pretty amazing, and you know, just I, I have to sort of keep my hand up to their, you know, training and all the things they do to prepare. But uh, one of the things I also am interested in is the personalities that really help them succeed. I think that's great, especially from your psychology background. You're looking at the personality and how unique it must be for if we're looking at Olympic athletes. So what kind of personality do Olympians have that maybe the average Joe or Jane doesn't? Well, actually, it's a, it's a form of a personality kind of, uh, of structure that a lot of us have uh, that I've been really sort of diving into, and it's called... Uh, sensation seeking. So those are some Olympic athletes have what I call a high sensation seeking personality. And that means they're, they're sort of like thrill seekers. They're individuals who can take chaotic environments and really focus best in those chaotic environments. It's almost like a little bit of a superpower. Well, and so how are they able to, as you say, they almost thrive in chaotic environments. Do you have an idea what's happening in their brain that allows them to be able to put all those things aside and still complete the task at hand? I do, I do. And it's something that a lot of 
first responders have and airline pilots have. Um, and what it is is the you know you maybe have heard of the 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 um, hormone um, that is useful for that flight or flight response is called cortisol. Mm -hmm. Whenever we get stressed out, a lot of cortisol enters our body to get us ready for those kinds of things. Well, one of the things that's different about these thrill seekers is they actually produce less cortisol in those high sensation seeking or highly chaotic environments. And so some of them report being really calm in the midst of that chaos. And not only then, but they feel calm for hours after it really focuses them. You got to go back to the cortisol thing. So the cortisol, because we always hear about that, especially if you have a high stress job, that's the concern that you're creating all this cortisol. But you're telling me Olympic athletes, when they're in some of these events, which I think would be very stressful, they're actually not creating a lot of cortisol. So they've, they, they're actually calm in those positions? Yeah, they're really calm and focused in their in those positions. And some of them even talk about the idea that it feels like time slows down in those environments. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is that they produce a lot of dopamine. And that's the neurotransmitter that's important for pleasure. So they're feeling more pleasure but less stressed out in the midst of those chaotic environments. I want to continue down the Olympic route, but even as you mentioned dopamine, we, we talk about people who are thrill seekers, rather, and often there's a tie-in with um, drug addictions. And so I know you're not going down that road, but just some of the things you're saying there has me thinking what people are looking for when they sometimes do become addicted to drugs. But there's no drugs involved here unless you're possibly a Russian. No, I'm kidding. Um, and so when, when we're talking then about these athletes, so if they're not creating a lot of cortisol, they're managing to still cope in stressful situations without having to raise that cortisol level. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, and so it's really kind of a variation in terms of our, our biology. And we know about 40 to 50% of that uh, personality trait is really inherited. So they may have inherited this ability to be focused and calm in the midst of chaos. It's certainly something I don't have. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think a lot of people, the, the difference in wanting to seek a thrill, there is the part of personality that says, no, I don't want to because I'm more cautious. So can you be a cautious thrill seeker? There are some, and so, but, but, but I think what, what the difference is is that our bodies will tell us when things are dangerous, and so it's that cortisol mm. that tells us that something is dangerous and that we should shy away from doing it. And so these high sensation seekers or these thrill seekers don't perceive some things as dangerous as the rest of us do. But not to their detriment then, because they're able to, as I said with the snowboarders, they're able to do some pretty incredible things and not, well, I'm sure there are some injuries, but do you know what I mean? They're able to still yeah. do this without having uh, serious injuries or uh, a mishap then. Yeah, so you see fewer injuries from people with this kind of um, personality uh, trait. And when they do have injuries, they tend to bounce back a little bit more quickly. Hmm, that's very cool. Are, is there a downside, though, to having this, what did you call it, the high sensation-seeking personality? Yeah, there can be in some ways. And so one of the downsides is that because you may not see things as dangerous as other people do, sometimes high sensation seekers don't have empathy as much for the rest of us. And so 
when they're driving in a car and following, you know, the car in front of them more closely or, um, or speeding, and they may be frightening the person in the passenger seat, they may not realize how frightened that person is because that experience doesn't seem that frightening to them. That's true because the speeding to them is part of that thrill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm curious, though. Um, they obviously probably don't like boring situations then. They're, they probably no. are. Um, they find them tedious. But yet when you look at an Olympic athlete and the training that they have to do, doesn't that kind of go against that personality? Because it would be doing the same thing over and over again until you reach perfection. Yeah, that can be one problem in high sensation seekers that do have what's called high levels of boredom susceptibility, but not all high sensation seekers do. Um, there are some high sensation seekers that can that don't get bored that easily. But for those that do get bored easily, that's that's that big sort of thing they have to get through because of all the training that's involved in in, in being an Olympic and or an elite athlete. Do you call it high level of boredom susceptibility? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's the so there's a test you can take where you can measure your level of sensation seeking on the four different components that are part of it. And one of them is called boredom susceptibility is how easy you can get bored and how irritated you get when you do get bored. Uh, there's another thing I want to touch on, and it's the whole idea of inhibition or, in fact, disinhibition. I want to take a break, though, yeah. Kenneth, so that you can explain that to us. And then I want to see how we can take what you are learning when it comes to personality traits in Olympic athletes and apply them to the average person. Kenneth Carter is my guest this half hour. Charles Howard, professor of psychology, Oxford College, Emory University. We are back with Kenneth after this. Kenneth Carter is my guest this half hour. He is Charles Howard Professor of Psychology, Oxford College, Emory University. We are looking specifically at the personality traits that actually help Olympic athletes succeed. And Kenneth is calling it they have a, a high sensation-seeking personality. Kenneth, I'm getting a number of texts from people who are saying, you know, how does this apply to the average person? And I want to get to that in a minute. But before we move on from Olympic athletes, there is another thing. You talked about the um, boredom, the high boredom susceptibility. And then another one, disinhibition. We often hear that when you have too much alcohol, you lose all inhibition. Is that what disinhibition is? Yeah, so having a high disinhibition means that you are going to just leap in and do whatever. Low disinhibition means that you're looking before you leap. And so the sensation-seeking survey measures those different components to, 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 to figure out whether or not you may be a high or a low sensation-seeker. And so you said that high sensation-seekers have a high disinhibition? They can. They, they can. can. And so there, there are, so there are four different components to the sensations. We talked about three of them. So one is called thrown adventure seeking. These are these being drawn to dangerous things. Mm -hmm. The other is experience seeking, the ability to like sort of unusual things. Um, they may not be dangerous. And then there's boredom susceptibility as well as disinhibition. And so you may have some thrill-seekers or high-sensation-seekers that could be high in thrill-adventure-seeking, but really low in boredom and disinhibition. That makes a great combination for an, 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 an elite athlete because they can tolerate that boredom. Not all high-sensation-seekers get bored really mm. easily.
You keep talking about a test. Is it something someone could go online if I've got listeners who are interested in finding out where they would be on this scale? Yeah, if you go to my website, which is drkencarter.com, there will be a red button. You can click there. It takes about 30 seconds to take the test. You put in your email, and it will send you a report of your scores and sort of interpreting what that means. It takes maybe like a, a minute to take, not very many questions at all. And when you say doctor, is that D-O-C-T-O-R or is oh, it D-R? It's actually D, yeah, it's D-R-K-E-N-C-A-R-T-E-R. All right. That's kind of interesting. Um, but I've got a, a number of texts from listeners. And, and one person says, how do, they, do these Olympic athletes then, or these high attention seeking people, how do they deal with stressful situations then outside of the Olympics? When you just talk about their uh, a stressful situation, how would they deal with it? Yeah, stress can come in different kinds of forms. There can be the stress of a deadline coming up that you may not be prepared for, which is a little bit different than the stress of a chaotic environment. Mm. And so it's really these chaotic environments that they do really well in, but they may have stress in other areas of their life, for sure. Yeah, the, the person says, how do they do in other stress situations like tests in school or social behaviors? She does go on to say, the two kids I know who do these thrill events are smart and rich and don't party with drugs as they have sponsors. They do both road bike and snowboarding competitions. They have tons of empathy, but it's just two kids. So she was just questioning who were tested when you were looking at some of these thrill seekers. So so she is saying just how do they deal with other stressful situations? One person here says, your guest is describing characteristics that sound a lot like my son who is diagnosed with ADHD, especially with being very annoyed and with being bored. How do you determine if this is a personality characteristic versus a neurodevelopmental condition? Kenneth, any guess on that one? Yeah, so I might have this person take the sensation-seeking survey um, and look at that. There have been some research looking at both things, and there doesn't tend to be a correlation or connection between ADHD versus uh, the sort of personality trait. And so, but there, it doesn't mean that there might not be people that have both. Um, it's, for example, like introversion and extroversion. We tend to think of these people as being extroverts, and, but there actually are a lot of high sensation seeking introverts as well. They just choose different kinds of, of thrilling kinds of things to involve themselves in. Now I want to touch on people who may be prone to addictions. Do you think any of your research could be used looking at at individuals who they are looking for that dopamine rush um, and they may sadly find it in drugs? Do you think there's any way we can have some use with this research for people who have addictive personalities? Yeah, so there has been some research, and, and, and there is a correlation or connection between high sensation seeking and, and people who have tried different substances. Yeah. And so, because like I mentioned before, they, they tend to see everything as being less risky, um, and so they, they, they'd be more likely to try those drugs of abuse um, than individuals that may be average or low with sensation seeking. I've interviewed uh, uh, several people who've you know, gone through addictive conditions. And I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is that if you have someone that is, you know, in that situation and they're taken out of it, knowing how how easily they can get bored, it's really important to be able to figure out ways to help their addiction that can be 
um, that can that can keep them engaged. In fact, there's a lot of research that says if you are a high sensation seeker, doing these sort of physical activities can be really helpful in your recovery. Yeah. Well, uh, if nothing else, taking the sensation seeking survey would help you or your family understand your personality traits and maybe. Um, see things that are coming down the road or being aware of how that personality can affect your decisions in the future? Absolutely. In fact, I've, I've, I've solved a lot of um, spousal arguments in cars from both people taking it. <laughs> say that again. Spousal arguments in the car? Yeah. One person who's a low sensation seeking or a passenger thinks the person who's a high sensation seeker is trying to frighten them um, when they just don't feel as frightened as the, the, the high sensation seeker. I've gotten emails from people that say, I feel like I understand my husband a lot better. I feel like I understand my wife's driving behavior a lot better now that they understand that what their scores are. Hey, you know, that makes sense. Uh, Ken, I'm just on your website. So it's drdrkencarter.com. And in yeah. the news break, I'm going to find out what kind of a sensation-seeking individual I am. Thanks for bringing this to our attention. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Dr. Kenneth Carter, he is Charles Howard Professor of Psychology, Oxford College, Emory University. And I'm glad he said, yeah, you know, especially some couples, they're wondering why one or the other does things they do. So maybe just even understanding uh, what's the first question, thrill seeker or chill seeker? Take this test to find out why. Well, I might just have to do that. In our next half hour, we are going to bring Leisha Corbello on from the Calgary Herald, her column on the weekend talking about, well, if we're going to do the Olympics, still don't know yet, but if we're going to do the Olympics, are we not going to build any buildings? Isn't that why we did the Olympics in 88? I'll talk to Leisha after this.